Welcome to Faith in the Fast Life, brought to you by Fast Life Ministries. The podcast that dives deep into the stories of God's redemption. 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 This week, recognizing the darkness you're dealing with. Oh wow, I'm dealing with a serious drug. It changed my whole life and changed how I look at things. Isaiah Goodman on Faith in the Fast Life. Give our podcast a follow and check us out on Instagram and Facebook. You can also find us at fastlifeministries.com if you want to partner with us. Now let's get into the episode. So, all right, Fast Life family, we are here, Faith in the Fast Life. This is our fourth episode of the Supercross series. We are still in Denver. We are still at Mile High Stadium. Isaiah, are you from Colorado? I am. So you understand that this is Mile High Stadium. It's not in power. It's not anything else, right? That's what I call it. I got in trouble the other day for calling it Mile High, but that's what I've always been. Yeah, it's it's got to be Mile High. So another Colorado boy. Uh, honored to have you. Another Team Faith writer. The Team Faith guys just keep coming through and sharing it. They have the faith. They are carrying Jesus with them. They wear the flag well. And, uh, man, we're just honored to have you here, Isaiah. So Colorado boy, uh, Isaiah Goodman, how long have you been racing motorcycles for? Man, like 17 years since I've, well, probably not that long. I've been riding for 17 years. Been racing since I was like six or seven. So whatever the math had come out to that, it's like 13, 14 years. Sweet for for racing. So how old are you now? I'm 20. 20. It's been going since a little buck, yeah, a little guy. Yeah. So where where'd you grow up in Colorado? Uh, so I originally was from Briggsdale, which is just m- about 30 minutes away. That'd be like north northeast of Greeley. So whoever you know, people know where Greeley is. And then um, grew up there the first uh, about 10 years of my life. And uh, then after that, we moved to Wiggins. My dad had a dream of having house and shop together because he's a diesel mechanic, so he wanted to have um, the business together. And to be able to do that, he had to move out to a different county, so then we ended up in Wiggins. So that's where my family is at the moment. Yeah. Okay, sweet. So grew up racing, started riding at a young age. How old were you started racing? Six. Six, six years old. Yep. And uh, was that just kind of local stuff? Yeah, so we never did anything real big. So I started out my first local race, and I think I got, like, second to last. <laughs> so um, nothing wrong with that, but it was at a track called Milliken, and uh, I don't remember a whole lot about it besides I remember at home, you know, you feel like the rock star, and I remember, like, oh, I can jump all, you know, big jumps. Well, they're all little at home, but you feel like the rock star, and I remember being a little discouraged so I could only jump one jump. <laughs> so... um but no, started there at Milliken, and then it just. Got so did you kind of get the bug? You know, the funny thing was, is I didn't get the bug till about eleven years old. We always raced, but I, as a kid, I always talked about it more than I actually wanted to race or ride my dirt bike. So yeah, I never. I mean, I loved it. I, I could tell you the stats of any rider out there. I could tell you the stats back clear to the nineties. I just, I was like a, a history guy for Supercross and Motocross, but. The racing part and the riding part, I would tell you, oh, I want to ride, I want to race, but when it came to get geared up and go and do it, it didn't, it didn't go. <laughs> I, I didn't want to do it. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. So, so did you guys still race every weekend, even though you didn't really want to do it? So that's the funny thing is, I said I always wanted to race, but it was, it, it depended on how my parents did it for me. Was if I did good that weekend, I'd race the next weekend. But if I didn't do good that weekend, 
you know, the racing's expensive. They're like, all right, well, you didn't earn the next weekend of racing. So that's how my parents did racing for me as a kid at a, at a young age. So tell us where Jesus comes into that. Did, were you guys, did you grow up in church? Did you grow up in a family that believed? Yeah, so my parents were, ever since I could remember, we were always in a church, and I was in a small church in Briggsdale. And um, I, I, if I remember right, and I'd love to ask my parents, I remember being like probably three or four, um, being like, yeah, I want to accept Jesus into my life. So I was really young. I, I barely remember it. Um, and we'll get on later on how my life and Jesus and all that kind of, we parted ways, if that's if probably what you don't want to call it. Um, but I was really young when I accepted Christ in my heart. So like three or four years old, you accept in your heart. How did racing affect the Christian lifestyle for you guys? It affected it, I wouldn't say a whole lot, but it does definitely affect it. I mean, most of the people at the races, you know, they don't, they're not Christians and there's a lot of, you know, drinking, in which there's really nothing wrong with drinking, but it's just... Not necessarily maybe a Christian lifestyle, especially, you know, you see your friends that are, you know, they they can say what they want, and then you're like, well, why can't I say that, you know? So there's some of that stuff as a kid that you kind of got to learn, like, okay, so, yeah, they're not Christians, but, you know, it, you can't, you got to learn to have your own backbone, so. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So, racing, you're still Christian, but, but you alluded to... I guess how did you put that? Like your your uh, your relationship with Jesus kind of went away. Yeah. So, so what what caused that? How, tell me more. So from the age of eleven, my racing was going really good. That was at that point where I took it very seriously. My dad said, "All right, it's too expensive just to ride around," which was what I was doing. And I was like, "No, I want to race. I want to race." So my dad was like, "Okay, well, if you're going to do it, then we're going all in." So. 2011 was a breakout year for me and I had really good results um, and was able to be competitive and stuff and at that point my my walk with Christ was very solid at a very young age I was constantly in in youth groups and going to church my parents were really big into keeping me and stuff like that Um, it's just one of those things where about when I was 12 years old 13 years old you're a teenager and then you start getting curious and then you start to notice things and then it takes one Google search to notice, oh, and then that seed gets planted into your head. So I dealt with a pornography addiction for years until I was probably about 16, 17 years old. And it just takes that one Google search for the devil just to plant that seed. And as Christians, you know, we, we plant seeds to grow in people in their walk with Christ. And, but the Satan's trying to do the exact same thing with us, too. So... Dude, I love that. So, so it's funny, you know, this podcast, the very first episode of this podcast is my story. Okay. And uh, that was actually, I've, I've always been very open about uh, being an alcoholic and an addict. Um, and, you know, you know, Jesus set me free from that. But I often didn't talk about the pornography addiction that went with it. So super proud of you. And I, I just love that, that you're open with that. Because I, I feel that pornography is, is one of the things that's so hush-hush in our world today that it's become so mainstream acceptable and okay and it's not and the people don't understand what all goes on behind that if for the listeners i read a really really good book here recently uh, i'll suggest it to you it was called the death of porn and i can't remember the name of the writer but he was a pastor from the tennessee area and he basically wrote it as a letter to the younger generation saying you know do you understand this and the porn world, you know, it starts as self-satisfaction and, and the, you know, the Bible doesn't often talk about, um, you know, 
pornography or, or masturbation or any of these kind of things. And it's a gray area to the world on if it's okay or not. But at the end of the day, it's self-serving behavior. And self-serving is wrong. We're, supposed, we're, we're called to serve others, right? It's not about me. It's about you. It's about him. It's about Jesus. So, man, like I'm, I'm proud of you. Like to, to, I didn't expect that to come out. I didn't expect to see that. But honestly, you, you're aware of it. You walk in it. And you know the harm that it causes. So tell me more. Yeah, it's something that I'm not proud of. I mean, it, it sucks that, you know, such a young age I was exposed to it. And it finally took to the point of just, I mean, my life was a mess. I mean, I was acting out. My parents were really big into the dirt bike wasn't a, it wasn't something that we did or something that they were like, okay, we're going to make it where you get to race professionally and you're going to, you know, fund us through your racing. Um, if I acted out as much as a, a back talk to my mother, the bike was taken away. I can think of many times where I missed out on like six months of racing and riding because I just wasn't a very respectful kid to my parents. Um, but yeah, the, the pornography thing, it was just from 12 to 17, it was just, I don't really know how to explain it. Just that I couldn't stop. Like as much as I tried now, as much as I prayed to God, like I just couldn't stop. So it, it took till finally the breaking point of being like either I'm going to kill myself or something's going to happen and I finally got caught by my parents and that was the best thing that ever happened to me at that point when it happened I was so mad like why God why would you let me get caught even though I hated my life and it took months to be able to be like how much I realized it had me captive and how much I was addicted to it and realized okay this was this is something really serious like this is this isn't just like a a slap on the wrist kind of thing. Like I needed some serious help. So my dad had us do a Bible study. I remember it very well talking about how addictive it is and how if you were to take a porn brain and a cocaine brain, they look exactly the same, like exactly the same. And once I finally saw that and realized, oh, wow, I'm dealing with a serious drug, it changed my whole life and changed how I look at things, um, especially in that aspect. So, and then once I finally grasped of, once I for, and this will come on a little later of forgiving myself, but then I started to realize, wow, that's God's girl. That's God's daughter that he created. And I'm looking at her in a completely different way than what I should be, you know? And it was, it's just, it, now I'm like, well, that was just, it's horrible. So it's crazy. And I, man, I'm so proud of like that you've gone through that and seen that. Cause I, I recognize those same things too. And, uh, you know, even down to, like, for our listeners, like, down to the point, like, you know, the way girls dress nowadays, right, uh, it could be very, very pro- provocative. Um, and just recognizing that, you know, A, God, you do amazing work, you build some beautiful young women, uh, but B, that is your daughter, and you're the one true king, and I have respect for all things that you make. And if, if men, if you're struggling out there, whatever it might be, like, Honestly, like I love that that Isaiah, like you hit the fact of of the the brain. I mean, it's a dopamine release. Um, it hits the pleasure centers of the brain, just like any drug does. But because there's not actually a substance there, and because uh, you know, that old adage of sex sells, it was a big thing back in the '90s and 2000s, and uh, you watch things start to shape and change. Um, but it's become so mainstream that we don't realize that we we get pleasure from it um and it, and it's so accessible nowadays man like when i was a young man there was no google on my phone 
You know what I mean? So, like, it was a little bit harder for us to get a hold of it, yet somehow it still managed to find us. Um, so, yeah, you know, parents, if you're listening, you know, be aware. Be, be uh, Don't be in the dark with this stuff. Like, you got to watch it. you got to pay attention to it. What's going on with those phones? And, and the other thing I'll tell listeners right now is that it's not just the boys. It's the girls, too. Um, and it's it's real. It's a problem. Um, and, and Jesus can help. So... Bible study made a difference. You started to recognize these young women were, were children of God, and you saw them differently. So tell me more. So then at that point, I rededicated my life to Christ, and was like, okay, some things have got to change in my life. And so I started making changes, but I, at that point, I was dealing with a lot of self-pride, and that goes back to the dirt bike. Is the It's funny how God has made my story a lot around the dirt bike. So, um, And my story's still going, too. I mean, I'm only 20, but... Um, I was dealing with a lot of pride and just just a lot of not accepting myself for who I am. I always wanted to be someone else. So um, I remember a few years later, now I'm like 18, and I had a good relationship with God, but then things weren't going. You know, I'm trying to now think, okay, now I want to get married is what now I'm, I'm kind of thinking. And so I started dating, and, and things weren't going my way. And, and then I went out with this one girl. But she couldn't go out on the date, and I actually – she had to have a chaperone, and that chaperone is now my wife. So it, it, it's it's really funny how that worked out and all in general. But um, I remember there was one night now. At this point, my, my walk with Christ is really patchy again. I'm like really mad, really upset because it seems like any time I try to get myself in a relationship – um, either with friends or even just a girlfriend, whatever. It's just it's rocky and will not work out. And so one night, me and the friend were at his house, and he's like, "Dude, there's this party. Like, just forget about it. You know, I'm explaining everything I'm going through." And he's like, "Just throw it away. Just who cares? Like, just go enjoy yourself." And I remember those words very specifically. And I was like, "You know what? Yeah, let's do something. I'm I'm tired of it. Like, this God thing isn't working out for me." And I remember he left the room, and I remember just kind of sitting there with my hands on my head and being like, I remember looking up at the ceiling and being like, yeah, God, I remember saying, screw you. I'm going to do my own thing tonight. I don't care what happens. I, I really had the intentions of kind of ending my life that night. And, um, right before we left, um, I got a text from a girl and it ended up being my wife, Natalie. And, uh, long story short, pretty much, do you want to go on a date? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like (laughs) we'll do it. And, um, at that moment I just had like, what the heck am I going to do with myself? And I just said, Hey, let's, let's, let's not do something tonight. Let's play video games instead. So, um, God's really kind of grabbed me at times and just been like, and I, I look at it like, God, why haven't you just let me fail even harder? You know, at times, and he's grabbed me and just kind of put me to the side, like stop controlling your life. Let me like, let me show you what it really can be, you know, and trust me. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And so young to to have as much of this already and have a good basis of it at 20 years old, man. That's super inspiring for, you know, younger generations out there like to to know this movie with. So so tell me Natalie's your wife, yep. right? So was she a believer as well? She was and she's the one that rededicated my life another time towards Christ. So um, we had been dating for a while, so and that's funny too, because I was so sick of dating and so sick of my heart being broke. I said, "All right, we're going to date for two weeks, and God will tell us if we're going to get married or not." And don't tell God what you want Him to do, because that scared the crud out of me of being like He showed us in two weeks that we were going to get married, 
And me being freshly out of high school and 18, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get married. <laughs> it scared me. But, you know, it was one of those things. And then, you know, we asked for forgiveness and he was like, okay, take a deep breath. And then we, we realized we we're going to get married. And then it was just one of those things where, okay, well, let's wait till you graduate college. I just bought myself a pickup. And then we felt like God was telling us, all right, let me pay off my pickup. And then you get through college. So that way we don't have the financial stresses of that. Um, but then during that time, I was still dealing with a lot of self-doubt, a lot of pride, and just a lot of um, – I couldn't forgive myself. I didn't realize I didn't forgive myself. But I was so just devastated of what I had did when I was younger, how I looked at women, how I've treated God in the past and told him, you know, screw you, I'm done with you, I'm going to do my own thing, to now my, – my in that point, my racing hadn't been going very well at all either. But at that point – you know, now he's given me the the wife of my dreams who's been supportive of my racing of all time. I was like, why, God? Why are you doing this to me? And, and it was Natalie that I I didn't want to go to it. But she's like, you, you need to go. It'll be fun. And there was this camp called Redeemed up in the mountains in uh, Colorado. And I just thought, oh, it'll be some Christian camp and we'll sing some campfire songs and go fishing. You know, I just figured it was going to be something like that. And no, it was something out of this world spiritual and I've never been able to feel it again. It's the closest thing that I have felt to the Holy spirit. And we get there and I can't tell you exactly how the message went. I can't remember word for word, but I just remember it being how to forgive myself. And I remember at the end of it, just literally I'm trying to, you know, be a man and not cry in front of my, my girlfriend. But I remember just dropping to the knees and just crying and, and crying and just, and being like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And, you know, and then we're all praying and stuff. And, and then one of my friends, Sam Leffler, said, hey, let's have the guys meet over here in the corner. And we're praying. And Dave, the, the leader of the group, was like, hey, there's someone in this group that hasn't forgiven themselves all the way yet. And he goes, I want you to guys step out in faith and go in the center of the circle. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. There is no way. There's no way I'm doing that in front of a bunch of guys I don't know. And one guy does it. And he's like, yeah. But he's like, it wasn't you, though. (laughs) Oh, no. And so he goes, there's someone in here. I'm not going to call him out, but you need to step out. So another guy steps in and he prays for him. He goes, but that's not you. There's someone. So it took to like the third or fourth guy. And I'm like, okay, I got to stop. I knew what God was doing. So I step out in faith. And right as I step out, he goes, there we go. And as all of them put their hands on me, um, I again, I just dropped to the ground. And I've never felt such a relief in my life before. And it was just the most beautiful thing. And at that point, I rededicated my life to Christ. I got baptized a second time. And and since then, I don't want to say, you know, my my walk with Christ has been, you know, easy. I mean, in the Bible, it talks about, you know, this Christian life is not easy. So we've got our ups and downs. But, I mean, since then, it's just been, you know, making sure I keep pursuing that that relationship with Christ. And even though when things do get rough... God's always there, even though if he may not give the answers at that time, he's always there and he will provide. Yeah. So so if, if you put God first in everything that you do, then you don't have to keep rededicating. Right. Just do it. Do it with him at the center of it to begin with. Right. And, then, and it helps to maybe keep you from falling away or getting pulled away. We talked about forgiveness a couple episodes ago, actually, with uh, Chris um, from over at Next Level Racing was with us and uh, talking about that forgiveness and, and forgiveness. Uh, one of the things I read one time, and I can't remember exactly where, but it talked about, you know, 
Who am I not to forgive myself? God has already forgiven me. So am I thinking that I'm better than God? Am I bigger than Him? And if He's already forgiven us for our sins, which He has, then that forgiveness is what's holding you back. That's the bondage. That unforgiveness is the bondage. It's the chains that Satan is still using against you to keep you from truly growing in Christ. So I don't think that it was that you were far from God or that you needed to to redirect your life or re-give your life to Him. I think it's that Satan was still bonding you and he's not letting you you know, expand to your... He's not letting you level up. Right. He's not letting you get to that next level of your walk with Jesus. Right. He's, he's keeping it in bondage. So it's good to hear that you, you worked yourself through that. And that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes that, that supernatural you know, meeting with the Holy Spirit. And, and guys, I, I want the listeners to know that that's available to you at all times. The Bible tells us that that is available to us. The Holy Spirit is with us. Um, you know, Jesus Christ, we ask him to live in our hearts and he's with us on a daily. Um, we just have to access it sometimes. And we have to be open to access it. We got to remember that it's God's will, not ours. So, man, what a, I mean, just what a cool story that you already have at 20 years old, man. Like, I can't wait to get back with you like in five more and say, where are we at now, dude? Like, what's going on now? So, so tell us, so obviously the, the, the racing kept going throughout all of that through marriage and everything else. Yep. Um, some point in time you had to have gotten better because here we are at the Supercross. <laughs> right. So tell us more about that. Like when did you turn pro? Like how did all that go down? Yeah, so at that point after that trip, um, I had pre- previous to all that, I had broken my back and then I got back from it and then I tore my rotator cuff and um, finally just had a kind of like a, okay, I got to figure out this dirt bike thing. I mean, I, I was riding and training and still, but um, it took to, for me to finally swallow a ton of my pride and realize what my technique was on the bike. And I couldn't fix that technique unless someone was watching. So me and my dad had a bunch of arguments and he tried helping me and he tried helping me, but I was so prideful. I would just be like, no, what are you talking about? Like, you don't know what you're doing. Um, so I remember in the fall of what would that be? I think that was 19 or something. Um, I think that was, I, I, no, it was right before COVID. So yeah, fall of 19, I said, all right, dad, I'm going to shut up and you are going to sculpt me on the motorcycle the way you want to sculpt me. So, and that's it. And that was, that's how his 2011 went for me is he trained me and trained me and I was the best rider I could have been. And that was the same way. So in the, um, in the fall and going into 20, um, I went and rode at Milliken and it'd been a while. We'd been riding at home all winter and we went and rode at the track called Milliken and we went and rode with a pro named Travis Stichter, and he was really impressed with my speed. And he goes, man, I think you should bump up to pro. And that way you can start making money. So I was like, okay. So I ended up going and racing up in uh, Nebraska and Wyoming series for 20, for 20 and 21 for those two years. Um, and just won a couple local pro championships. Nothing. I mean, it's not a super competitive series, but it's a super fun series. And really enjoyed it. And then did some, like, spring nationals in Texas and stuff like that. And those results weren't very good. But um, had some decent results and had some really good speed. Um, And then I ended up going to, and previous to this, actually, sorry. um, I had good results and I had been winning some local titles. But I knew I had more in my racing. And I I was grabbing it too much. I I was really happy with the results, but I wasn't necessarily the best way to put it was I wasn't, they wasn't dedicating. I'd always pray before the line, like God, let me glorify you. 
but I didn't feel like I was glorifying or maybe not glorifying, but, um, giving it all to him. So I was, it was my self pride. Like, yeah, look at my results instead of being like, you know, those are God's results kind of thing. So I remember just praying like I'm emptiness. I'm not happy with my racing. I'm not happy. You know, I'm winning, but I'm not happy. So I was like, okay, God, please take my racing. Please take me where you want to go, where I can glorify you in everything I do. Doesn't matter the result. Doesn't matter if I'm first or last. Just show me where you want me to be. And two weeks later at an FCA camp, Jason Newby approaches me asking if I want to race Supercross. <laughs> so that was like, okay, that's crazy. So he goes, and then he's like, well, you got to get your Supercross license and stuff like that. So um, once I got my Supercross license, um, we worked out a deal, and I've been able to ride Supercross with Team Faith. And um, as much as racing Supercross has been absolutely fantastic, and as much as that's been a dream come true since I've been three years old, that prayer that I've prayed to God, I've tried to live by that as much as I can. As much as this racing is and you got to focus on yourself and as much as I want to improve my results, I do try to glorify God in all that I can do, especially you know with Team Faith and we're serving dinners to all these private tiers and, and everything that Team Faith is and we're trying to spread the gospel throughout the pits. So um, that was – the results definitely got better and uh, – it's been it's been a it's been a journey, especially the la- I mean, last few months we uh, ended up moving out to North Carolina um, with a guy named Freddie Noren. He invited us to come live with him for a little bit. And I've been training that club and um, a place called Club MX, and so it's it's just been God's just opened crazy doors to one help me get a better as a dirt bike rider, but then as well as be able to get his name and just glorify him in all that I can do. So, yeah. man, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. So so good. So. As we come to the close, I always ask if, if there's one thing that you want the listeners to hear, what do you want them to take home with them today? Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> right? It's always baffling to most people. It is. What, do I, what is one thing I should say? Um, I would say to, to forgive yourself, and as much as hard as that can be, and I've gone through it, especially when you sit back and realize that Jesus came down on this earth and lived 30 years and died on the cross for our sins. Um, and then he came back and he loves us even though we fail every day. I fail every day as a Christian myself. And he still loves us and he still forgives us. And as much as it's hard to forgive yourself, you have to learn that he has this overwhelming joy of love towards you. So there's no reason to forgive yourself. And tomorrow's always a new day. So um, if someone could you know, get something from this is, you know, we all make mistakes, but it's, it'll be okay. So if you can forgive yourself, then that's all right. So that's good, man. Forgiveness is good. Hey, thank you so much for being here, Isaiah. This has been awesome for all of our listeners. There's uh, the end of episode four from the Supercross series. We'll see how many more we rack up from this weekend. We thank you for listening. Like us, share us. If you'd like to partner with us and keep this ministry going, that would be huge for us. Uh, Take a look at team faith. Uh, Isaiah, what's your uh, Instagram? Uh, Isaiah Goodman 467. Isaiah Goodman 467. Be on the lookout for him and the Team Faith boys and all the great things that are happening in racing. Have a blessed day, everybody. Thanks for listening.